0: Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect.
1: And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got another great show for you this week. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Hi
1: there. So we're going to be talking smart homes this week, a topic that we look at every so often here on User-Friendly. We've had a lot of questions about the basics of this. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what a smart home actually entails, some of what is involved in it, and taking a look at very quickly what's new and exciting and coming up in the future here. A topic I think we actually need to spend a little more time on in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lot out there. other thing we've got this week is Yavor, uh, who's our commentator and reporter in Bulgaria, is going to be talking about a new drone. Yeah. That sounds actually very interesting and workable, and I... You know, my question is: Is are people going to try to steal those out of the air?
0: And it sounds like it might be a little
1: too big. Yeah, it might be a little too big, and I think it might fly a little too high. So, mm. you know, there you are. I like the the reason why it was invented. Me too. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> and we'll get into detail on that coming right up here in that segment. Special events coming up for us. We actually have a few things on the schedule. We'll see how this works out. This all plays into what does and doesn't happen with covid and everything else but the mcmahon's ufo festival in McMinnville, oregon is coming up may 13th to 14th we've been wanting to get that for a couple of years now so that's going to be kind of cool to do in june on the 18th we have cruise in sherwood which is a classic car show it's going to be back for the first time in two years as well and it's something that's a lot of fun if you're a car enthusiast come and check that out and then later in the year, we are looking at doing two Comic-Cons back-to-back. Emerald City is coming up August 18th through the 21st. And then the following weekend is Silicon. Or Silicon. Silicon. Got to say the name mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. That's the 27th to the 28th down in San Jose. And we haven't done that one for a while either. So it's going to be a busy week, but hopefully we can get both in. Yes, I think we can. So that's going to be a lot of fun. What do we have in the news this week? New transistor could cut 5% from world's digital energy budget. So this is actually a big deal. And we've talked about in the past Moore's Law, Mm -hmm. which says that the number of transistors on a chip will double every two years approximately. And that has been proven true since the 1960s when he made that statement. And a lot of speculation is, has this been able to continue? Is this something that we can proceed with, or is this going to kind of, you know, become a thing of the past? Because if you double, it's like the old saying of a penny, two pennies, four pennies, and eventually you're in the millions of dollars very quickly. Well, we have another invention here. It's a nanoscale device that is a type of a transistor, a new take on it that reduces the amount of energy being used by 5% and is also much smaller. Now, 5% is a big deal when you think if that was across the board in all computer devices, you're looking at a substantial conservation of power to be able to do basically the same thing. And because it's much smaller, you can actually fit more of them and do more with the space that you're using. Hmm. So. Cool. Cool.
2: Apple starts manufacturing iPhone 13 in India.
1: Yeah, so this is a step in the direction of reducing reliance on supply chains out of China. Apple has announced that they are going to start manufacturing the iPhone 13 and probably future models in India. They're not stopping manufacturing in China, but it will give some diversity in where these come from, a little more than they have now, to be able to have redundancy. NASA to test spin-launch a giant slingshot for launching satellites into space. Yeah, it seems to me that we talked about this once yeah. before here. And mm-hmm. this is a device that saves a lot of energy. It would never be used for launching something like an astronaut. It's meant for small satellites. And what it basically do- does is it's a slingshot that pushes your satellite into orbit.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be amazing.
1: So, it's got a steel vacuum chamber, 300 feet in diameter. A payload attached to an internal carbon fiber arm is spun up to a speed of 5,000 miles per hour before being released and fired out of the stack towards space. (laughs) So, I don't know. The basis of this kind of technology isn't anything that new. We've used slingshots forever, of course.
2: Yeah, and they use them uh, on the pumpkin throwing
1: contests, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen them out there, but it's definitely a. Um, new take on it after reaching the upper atmosphere a small rocket engine would ignite to provide the extra push needed for orbital insertion and they are planning to perform their first tests with this in 2025 so it'll be interesting to see how this goes it's uh, a very strange looking device in a way but if it works and if it saves time money and energy who cares what it looks like yeah
2: Intel says it'll deliver a 2025 chip tech a half year early.
1: New Lab Intel manufactures a lot of their microprocessors here in the United States. There's been a lot of talk lately about moving more of that back here to the United States. So they are launching a new manufacturing plant actually here in Oregon. And this is going to be very interesting. I think it's kind of a really cool idea. Gordon Moore Park is the name of the plant, and they call it the D1X Fabrication Lab. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes, but they're actually ahead of schedule, which is something we don't hear about too often in this day and age. And originally this was planned for 2025, but now we're looking at having it come out in 2024. So that's actually really kind of cool to see that they're actually going to be able to do it a little bit early. Twice the speed of the Concorde. China aims for suborbital tourism by 2025, full-scale hypersonic flight by 2030. So we're looking at bringing back what we used to call the Concorde, although this will be quite a bit faster. hmm The idea here is that we'll be able to fly from Beijing to New York in about two hours. That's, that's amazing. That's pretty darn quick. And you would fly through space. You actually mm. would be in lower uh, orbit, but you'd be flying through space. So um,
0: so that would get rid of the, the Concorde problem, or at least what I perceived as uh, what why they got rid of the Concorde.
1: Well, dealing with atmosphere, you're talking about the ozone thing, uh, mm-hmm. and that was part of it, and the other part of it was they weren't safe. So we'll see how this fixes that, <laughs> but um, it was... Uh, Definitely an interesting thing. I remember the Concorde. I remember at that time I was living in Reno, Nevada, and it landed there and it was a big deal and all of that. And You know, so seeing where this ends up, technology to make flight faster makes a lot of sense. So as long as they can come out of this and it's safe, I could see where something like this might be used. Hmm. Elon Musk won't join Twitter's board after all. Yeah, a lot of speculation for anybody that hasn't heard Elon Musk has purchased a controlling interest in Twitter and is looking at reworking some things. They're adding the edit button. Now, he didn't invent this. It was just something he kind of pushed forward and got them to do, you know, a little faster than they might have in other concept. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, he was originally going to join the board. The problem is there's a limitation if he does that on how much stock he can actually own. So he has Mm. a choice of either being on the board or not being on the board, being able to buy more of a controlling interest. So I have a feeling he's probably going to appoint someone else to take the board position so that he can maintain his freedom to be able to deal with, you know, not having uh, that limitation on where he is at with all of that. Mm. So a lot of interesting stuff here. You know, I think when we look at technology and pop culture, we've been kind of focusing on tech lately. I want to get back to the pop culture thing a little bit in coming weeks. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of changes and a lot of new ideas and inventions and things that are going on with all of this to be able to kind of pull together a creative idea. You have a company like Twitter that has started to stagnate. People still use it. There's no question about it. But it's uh, not the new kid on the block like it once was. So if you interject some new ideas and make some changes and, and do some things that are creative, you can actually really kind of reinvigorate all this kind of stuff. We're going to be talking a little bit later in the show about cosplay and some of the technology that goes into that. We're going to dig into that deeper in future weeks. But this whole idea of what can you come up with? Necessity is the mother of invention a lot of times. So if you have a problem, how do you solve it? You know? So, one other thing, Gretchen, I want to ask you about we had started doing our hobby segments and kind of got derailed a little bit on that when the war in Ukraine started. So we're going Mm -hmm. to be bringing that up back in coming weeks. Are you still enjoying doing your hobbies? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm actually getting further on figuring out how to crochet. Um, There's different stitch styles, I guess you could call it, that you learn. Uh, Different
1: patterns, has different textures. And I actually figured out how to make a hat. That's
0: that's awesome.
1: That's cool. That's cool. (laughs) This is another thing that I don't think I would be good at. So... (laughs) more power to you and we'll see what we come up with this is user friendly 2.0 we've got a great show for you this week we'll be back after the break Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. A topic we talk about on our show a lot is smart home technology, and we've had a lot of questions coming in on this again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it just, you know, what are the basics and some of the new things that are coming out? And I would say to start at the very beginning, the definition of smart home technology or home automation is something that provides homeowners security, comfort, convenience, and energy efficiency by allowing them to control smart devices often by a smart home app on their smartphone or other network device. At least that is the definition from TechTarget that I was just reading there. And these ideas have evolved a lot in recent years, but even from early on, into what it is today. And what it is today is actually something that's really taking a step forward. So your basic smart home means that you can control your lights and maybe other things around the house, your thermostat usually depending on what level of integration you want is what you would get. It's somewhat expensive to set these things up. You can easily invest a couple of thousand of dollars or more to do it right. Mm -hmm. But some people just want to be able to turn their porch light on and off from their car. That would be an example of a basic smart home. And then you have people like me, or at least I'm told... That in a sixteen hundred square foot townhouse having seventy three automated light points is a lot. I don't think it, it is, but
2: it absolutely is.
1: So uh, you know, but the, but you know, I'm into technology, of course, and I have a lot of fun with this stuff. So you have that every that from one end to the other and everything in between. So in recent years, we've seen the price come down on automating lights and heat control systems quite a bit. You can get a smart thermostat now that works pretty decently for under $100, and Casa makes a home automation system with the switches that you can get those now for about $20 to $25 a piece, which is about half of what they would have been a few years ago. Other companies make more expensive devices, and it depends on what you want. The other thing I've noticed, too, is that you do want to look at investing in this a little bit, because where I've had problems with it is with some of the off-name brands, things don't work quite right and stuff. And the other thing of it is, is, since it is a new technology I've had on occasion, although it's gotten a lot better in recent years, where when I have my lights set to turn off automatically, the signal maybe doesn't hit one of the lights or something and it stays on. So, you know, there's a few things to deal with on that, although if you design your system properly, that is very minimal now, or just uh, not so long ago, it was a much bigger deal. The next step of this is voice recognition. And this uses a smart speaker like Lexa or Google or any of those type of things to be able to control your house with voice. And this has really evolved in recent years. The original device that I used for this was something called an Ivy. And Mm -hmm. it was a thing that looked like a little alarm clock. And it had voice recognition, but it probably understood what you were saying one out of every maybe five times. And in its day, this would have been about 2012, was kind of a cool device. But with AIs and everything, smart assistants and all that kind of stuff now, this has really come into its own, where you can name things, you can set everything up custom, you can set sleep timers, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that this actually does, at the end of the day, is save energy. And I have found that, oh, I forgot to turn the air conditioner off, you know, so I'm going to see what the temperature is in my house and do that from wherever I am. That can save you a few bucks because mm-hmm. you're able to control it remotely. So that's a step of this. And then taking that to your next step is security. There's a number of different security systems on the market. Ring makes a big one for Amazon devices, and there's a number of others out there. Nest has their own system, smart Things by Samsung. And that list goes on and on. But this is the ability to set up a basic alarm system with trigger sensors on your doors and windows. You can get fancy with glass break detectors. And basically any sensor that you would have on the more expensive systems now exists on these. You can install them yourself, so it uh, saves some money that way and you can customize as needed. And then you can take that to a step of being able to do your door locks. So like our front door, you put in a code and it unlocks the door. I can check to make sure the doors are locked from remote. And if I forgot to lock a door, lock it. Or I just used this recently. I had some friends coming over and I was running a little bit late and it was raining. So I was able to unlock the door and let them in from where I was. So that's kind of cool. That is garage- cool. Garage door opener has the same type of thing. We've talked in the past about devices like Amazon Key, where you can give Amazon access to your garage door opener. And now they can put your packages in the garage for porch Pirates and that type of thing. And the whole discussion on whether that's secure or not being its own thing, it is a capability to do it. Now, some of the new things that are coming out this year have to do with the field of robotics. Lexa has a robot that's available right now from Amazon for $1,000 that will follow you around, bring you stuff, do all kinds of things. It's really kind of cool. It's like having a little droid. Oh, good. We need those. Yes. You know, and. And then things, uh, devices that we've had for a long time, like robotic vacuums and things are becoming a lot smarter with this type of technology. It will learn the room and be able to deal with it. And you can say things like, vacuum the area in front of the couch in my living room, and it will be able to go and just do that and know what you're asking. So these type of devices are very interesting. But one of the next steps that we're seeing this in is quality of life, especially for seniors and maybe people with disabilities and that type of a thing to be able to monitor, say, by family members or a doctor or something and make sure that the individual is okay and for the individual to be able to ask for help if they were to fall or have some other kind of a problem, medical or otherwise. So these type of things are very much becoming part of the know, the, the now. And Jeremy and Gretchen, I know you guys have some smart home equipment. Do you like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we
2: we just usually have speakers. We haven't set up any of our plugs yet, but um, I want to set up a plug so we can control some of our lighting.
0: And we also have the ring system. We caught a bear.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I remember you sending me that video, you know. It just uh, I wasn't expecting to find a bear.
2: No. We see lots of cats, though.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So some of the technology we're going to see up and coming with this are things like appliances, refrigerators that can keep track of expiration dates, Hmm. coffee makers that can brew a fresh cup of coffee at a program time or on a voice request, things like that, slower cookers and toasters, washers and dryers. I have a smart range, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, this technology is out here, but this is a basic of what it is and what it can do is absolutely amazing. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user-friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. Keep them coming in. We've been getting so many great questions this year, and this really makes our programming. 503 6264 or for those that complain about it, 503 6264 One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. I don't know why, but when I say, O oh, instead of zero, I usually get a couple of comments. So there you are. Yeah. Anyway, what questions do we have this week? What is Twitter Spaces? So this is a new feature that's been tested for a while now. Anybody can participate in it at this point where you have audio on Twitter. Oh, good. So basically what (laughs) happens is is you have a host that creates what they call a space. Um, You have instructions on how to do that. But the spaces are public, so anyone can join as a listener, including people who don't follow you. Listeners can be directly invited to a space by DMing them a link to the space, tweeting out a link, or sharing it elsewhere. So that works in a pretty standard way. When you create your space, you'll have the option to name it and start it. You can schedule for later or do it immediately, either one the way that you would prefer there. So it's kind of like setting up a meeting in that sense. And then basically, you just have a conversation you're hosting that anybody can join in. Hmm. So, interesting idea. I mean, I could see where that could go off the rails a little bit, but... Uh, oh, yeah. So, we might have to host a couple of these in error the air ones to see how it goes. In fact, maybe we'll set that up in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> how do you put lights in
0: a cosplay?
1: Had a very, very cool conversation with somebody about this. They're putting together a costume... And if you've been to Comic-Cons or other events or even just looked online, a lot of these costumes have just amazing setups where they light up. And if they're from a video game or something, you might have smoke and all that kind of thing. But to do that, unless you want to plug yourself into the wall and stand next to it, you need a way to put it together so that it's run off of batteries and works. And that's where her question was coming from. You know, how would you do that? So there's a lot of ways to do it, basically, where you can put in lights where you just buy them kind of from a store and they run off of batteries. But if you want to get more complicated or want power for the longer term and have a little bit of technical know-how, you can actually build your own system. There's schematics to be able to do this safely online where you would put in batteries and have them be rechargeable and work in such a way that they can run an entire set for a long period of time or anything else that you might want to have in there. One of the other things, and this goes on to our next question, are costumes hot to wear, I found that when you do these type of things, if you're going to have power, the other thing to bring in is cooling fans. Now, we've used some of the ones that would go in a computer. There's other ways to do this that can also cool you down. It depends on the type of costume, but like my Wookiee suit, which is basically a fur suit, is very, very hot to wear. So having a system like that in place that would also run off of the power source is a good idea. Now, the one downside to this is you are working with electricity. And a lot of times you're dealing with uh, lithium-ion batteries and other things like that. So you do want to make sure you don't short anything out and that you do it safely, because if not, you could end up with a very bad situation that could be quite dangerous.
0: Hmm.
2: Okay, so question three, are costumes hot to wear? It depends on the costume. Yes, yeah. yes, very much so. Yeah. Because, I mean, my Han Solo costume is basically uh, a three-quarter Henley shirt, a vest, and some jeans yeah. with boots. So no, that's not very hot at all. Unless it's hundred and five degrees. Yeah, unless it's hundred and five degrees.
0: Yeah, if it's degrees. gonna be hot
2: anywhere,
1: yeah. but that's not the costume, yeah. you know. It's like yeah, and
2: <laughs> it depends like I say, it depends on the costume. Fursuits are obviously hotter, but layers of fabric can get fine it can be fine depending on the weather.
0: Well, and depending on the fabric. My mm-hmm. my Kyandy costume, she's a Jedi and she's got lots of layers. Mm-hmm. So that costume can also be really warm. And then there's the makeup layer, right. which uh, can sometimes block how easily your skin breathes. If you have like something on your skin that blocks how your skin breathes, that could be more a problem. And then
1: there's the helmets. You mm-hmm. in your Mandalorian
0: uh, costume yeah. sometimes would
2: be pretty warm. i got a tiny little fan in that one. so Yeah,
1: and that, those help a lot. I, You know, you lose heat on your body through your head and through your feet first. Uh, you know, that's not the only place, of course, but that's a big one. So if you're wearing a helmet, that can affect that. And I've found the same thing to be true, too. So where you want to take it off. And you do want to be careful with this, too, because you don't want to have heat stroke. And I've had a few times in the Wookiee suit where... I was going all day and then I'm told by the professionals that do these kind of costumes that no, we only go about two hours. What are you doing? Are you insane? I think, <laughs> yes. Nah, probably. So you want to pace it and you want to be careful, but there are ways to make it less intense and using an electrical system within your costume is one way to do it just as long as you do it safely. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a special segment for you coming up here. We're going to be going all the way to Europe, to Bulgaria. Welcome to our reporter, Yavor Shekharjeev. Hi. Hi. So there's a lot of tech going on in places around the world, not just here in the United States. And I know there's some exciting stuff that's going on in Bulgaria that we probably haven't heard a lot about yet on this side of the pond, so to speak. And I know one of these things has to do with drones. Now, Amazon here has been prototyping the idea of delivering with drones. They have some test market set up. It's gone okay, but there's been some good things and some bad things. But it sounds like they're building a product in your country that really kind of solves this problem. So what is
3: this? Well, for starters, it's not the Amazon setup where you get a pizza in your backyard, but a buzzing helicopter okay <laughs> it's a fixed wing drone big enough to carry 770 pounds up to 1550 miles fully automated okay
1: so they could uh, cross all europe
3: this is back a, and forth
1: this is a true drone there wouldn't be a pilot on board and, and that's amazing so crossing the entire continent of europe so I could see where this would be a lot more beneficial than, as you say, the pizza being
3: dropped, delivered by the drone. I know okay. one of the.
1: So, go ahead.
3: Does it require a landing strip? It needs 400 meters of runaway. It could be simply grass. That's Any cool. Any flat surface will do. So this can
1: take off and land pretty much anywhere in that case. So are these actually in use yet? I, I know that when we were talking before we started recording, you were talking about a launch... Uh, thing that they did at the airport in Bulgaria. Tell us a little bit about that, and when do we actually see these start to fly?
3: Well, right now, they're finalizing the certification in front of the European whatever agency that takes care of that, the, the, the equivalent of FAA in the States. Yeah, European aviation. It should, be, it should be done within probably next month, month and a half, finalized and ready to go. And what we have, we have just learned like a few weeks ago that uh, DHL – has already signed contracts with them to buy their first 60 drones that are built. And they're setting up regular delivery routes. And the beginning will be between Italy and Belgium. Okay. So sort of uh, testing the ground, see how it goes. But um, I'm pretty sure it will go well because the data is simply impressive what this thing can do.
1: So one of the other things that I found that was interesting about is they're actually saying that this costs less than
3: road delivery in a truck. Well, they call it the air cargo van, okay <laughs> the, the people that established the company and it, there is a funny story of how it started a few years ago, one of them, there are two brothers the starters. One of them was uh, sitting in Norway from some project for months, and he said to his brother on the phone who was in Bulgaria that he misses Bulgarian cheese. <laughs> the brother replies yeah, yeah. like in a joke, okay, you're the engineer, build a drone and I'll send you some cheese. Right, right. <laughs> <I don't laughs> later, the drone is
1: Mother is necessary. I was going to say the same thing, you <laughs> know, you got to have your and, you have your cheese. And that's, that's a really true right? <laughs> story. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, and the other thing I'm looking at on this too is from a standpoint of green energy. This looks like this has a massive advantage over planes or even trucks. Now, they're saying carbon neutral by 2023 and carbon negative by 2027. Do you think that's actually going to happen?
3: Yeah. They already have prototype for the next generation engine, as they call it, the so-called neutral, carbon neutral engine, and, of course, keeping it in secret. And already have plans for the carbon negative engine, which, to be honest, I have no clue how it's going to happen, but obviously these guys know what they're doing. We saw the the cargo uh, drone in flight. We saw it on a test flight on the Sofia airport in the in the late fall, sometime, and it looks gorgeous. And uh, the most important thing here, I know it's very modern in the states to be to be called something green and uh, carbon this and carbon that, but the things you guys need to remember: this uses only twenty percent of the price of the price that nowadays you need to to pay for with a le- regular plane. Right, eighty percent cheaper. That's the magic words. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Now, I, and this has been a big thing with the cost of fuel going up and all of that kind of thing. It's causing the cost of deliveries going up. And one thing that we've all, on you know, here, I, I don't know how this works in Europe, but here have gotten very spoiled with is the whole thing with free delivery on everything and free returns and all that kind of stuff. And there's been some talk that that might go away because it's costing the companies too much to do it. But it seems like a technology like this could make that still feasible and actually lower their costs from what it is now.
3: Well, to said the long story short, when I was living in the States, I also learned a pretty interesting proverb. It's pretty much says there is no free lunch. So, right. Here we go.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's, abs-
1: that's absolutely true. I mean, a free delivery is not really free. It's just baked into the price of the product. And then you pay, what is it? $120 a year for the Amazon membership to get it. But um, that kind of a thing still is not making ends meet. Now, the other side of this that seems very interesting is you were talking about the 400-meter runway to take off and that you don't actually need to be at an airport. And they advertise that you can actually have your own drone port. I think this would probably work for a factory or a warehouse or something of that nature. So it seems like there doesn't have to be a lot of investment in infrastructure to make this work. But the one question I'll ask you is I know that with drones – You have automated flight controls, but there's some limitation to this. And it's my understanding that this is taking that technology to a next level with Starlink. Have you heard anything about
3: that? It's not official about the Starlink. They just kind of uh, let it out there for everybody to be be clear, because the only worldwide satellite internet provider for the moment is Elon Musk and his company. So there's no other company. So it's not official, obviously, they're working on some... Kind of a deal, I guess. We'll f- we'll find out. But the, what it uses is pretty much the VOR systems that current uh, airplanes use, mm-hmm. and it can use the, that global satellite data for a backup. So if something goes wrong, it automatically switches to the secondary system, so it continues flies and the set altitude and the proper destination and all, all that stuff. It's double secure. That's what, that's what I mean. Otherwise, uh, it just works the way uh, you set up a flight plan, or just like a regular plane. Once it gets approved from whatever authority there is, you tell them from where you take off, where you're going to be landing. You set up a few buttons, altitude, all that. Planes takes off. Lands mm-hmm. automatically. Being uh, unloaded, refueled, and can go right back.
0: So how does it go in the weather? Like if you have like uh, heavy rain or snow,
3: does it have any problems? Well, it doesn't rely on someone watching through the window or a camera. It relies on fully um, radio signal and secondary satellite signal. It doesn't care about the weather unless it's like a heavy thunderstorm, which just mm. simply too dangerous or too, too strong winds. It could fly oh, wow. day that's, or night. That's, that's amazing. I hate that's to say amazing. it, but we're running out of,
1: time here. Yavor, thank you, and we're going to have you back in the next couple of weeks. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. It's a always great show this week. It's interesting to hear about technology around the world, you know? There's yeah, There's a lot indeed. of really cool things going on in a lot of different places, and Yavor is right there, foot on the ground. I know one of the things he's going to be talking about in uh, subsequent shows is they're putting together some training and some really interesting high-tech institutions and that type of thing in that area, at least they're talking about it, which would be kind of a a one-of-a-kind. So we'll get him back and talk about that in future weeks. And as we do here so often, we talk about kind of the latest thing we've seen in the movies or on television. And you guys have been watching a show on Amazon prime. I have not seen this yet. I don't even really know what it is. Invincible.
0: <laughs> um, it was kind yes. of a whim. And, and I was trying to find something for Jeremy and I to watch. And we like um, a lot of the superhero
1: stuff. stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: So this is, this is a, a show on, on Amazon prime. So it's through prime network. Uh, it's called invincible. Uh the plot line says uh 17-year-old Mark Grayson is just like every other guy his age except that his father is Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet. So you can guess where this is going to go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he he starts developing his own powers. There's um superhero teams uh, there's a thing that that's a pretty bad knockoff of the Justice League. <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty pretty cool. I mean, it, it came from a comic book series. They made a TV series out of it. Um, it's an
0: adult series, definitely. There's a little bit of blood and gore. That's a little bit too intense for younger yeah. people. Uh-huh. I've seen this,
1: uh, the Boys was like that too. Oh yeah. yeah, I
0: actually kind of stopped watching the Boys
1: just because it started to get a little
0: too um, gory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: And it's something you don't um, want to have that be a surprise to your kids. No, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, so we, we were, we've
2: been watching it. it. It's pretty good. It looks like there's probably going to be a season two, um, which will be very interesting after we figure out what happens in, in the last episode.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the artwork is nice. Uh, the acting seems to be good. Yeah. Um, the writing and the characters are interesting. So they're not like really flat or stereotyped.
1: Right. So no, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, listen, coming up next week, we are going to be doing a clip show. I'm actually out for a medical thing. So I'll be down for a couple of days. So in the meantime, what we're going to do is look back at some of our live events. And boy, it was it hard to find content to fill a hole <laughs> last year and how little we've done just with the disruption from COVID. But we've got some great stuff coming up out there. And then in May, we are going to finally be going to the UFO Festival in McMinnville, Oregon. That's May 13th to 14th, so that will be a lot of fun. Another event that we talked about previously that's coming up is the Great Chef Run in Las Vegas. That's on April 30th. I'm not going to make it to that one, but Chaz is, so we're going to have to find out how that goes. Sounds like a really great event. So that's what's up and coming, and until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge.
2: User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014-2022. to User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host, and not necessarily those of the user-friendly media group, Inc., or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.